1: sends some deliverer to help them and after a while they go right back to their old ways they cry out to God again and it's just roller coaster kind of a ride well that's just the way history records it. it just happens again and again the wonderful thing about the God I love and the God I serve is that no matter how much it's happened in the past people still if they're willing to hear the voice of God and heed his call if they're willing to repent
0: You'll forgive. There's a dangerous cycle we see in the life of the Israelites all throughout the Old Testament, and God allows us to read their history so that we can learn from their mistakes. The Apostle Paul said that we can learn from the life of the Jews in the Old Testament and that we should be warned against idolatry and turning away from God. Today, Pastor Danny will be encouraging you to seek God fervently even when everything is going smooth in your life, because it's easy to grow complacent. Now here's Pastor Danny in the Book of Zechariah, Chapter 2, as he begins his message, Zechariah, Part 2, Patience and Endurance.
1: God raised up the prophets to speak to the people of Israel and sometimes to other peoples. God sent people like Jonah uh, to places like Nineveh, very wicked people. And uh, Jonah didn't want to go because Jonah was afraid that in taking God's simple message of repentance that they actually might heed God's word, they might repent, and that God might forgive them of all their sin. Assyria, Nineveh where Assyria... uh, (laughs) Where the enemy territory was is where Jonah was sent. Uh, He initially didn't want to go, didn't go. And if you know the story, he ended up getting on a boat, going to Tarshish, as far away from civilization, really, as he could, and uh, ended up swallowed by a whale, changed his mind, went to Nineveh. And exactly what he was afraid might happen, happened. The people listened, they repented, and God saved a whole city uh, that had been just off into terrible sin and idolatry. Well, that's what God does if we're willing to repent. But the people of Israel, so many times they would send the prophets and Israel would become like the nations. They would get involved in sin and idolatry and God would raise up these prophets and say, hey, the way you're headed, not the right way. And uh, if you you don't get right, you're in trouble. And they wouldn't listen. They continued on. Uh, Eventually, God sent Assyria to the northern kingdom and Assyria comes in and takes over, deports Israelites into Assyria, imports Assyrians into the northern kingdom. Years later, because the southern kingdom also didn't listen to the prophets, God sent the Babylonians. Babylonians come in, they take over. They deport Israelites to Babylonia, import Babylonians into um, Israel. The book of Judges is just one record after another of the Israelites getting in trouble because of sin, crying out to God, and then God sends some deliverer to help them. And after a while, they go right back to their old ways, they cry out to God again, and it's just roller coaster kind of a ride. Well, that's just the way history records it. It just happens again and again. The wonderful thing about the God I love and the God I serve is that no matter how much it's happened in the past, people still, if they're willing to hear the voice of God and heed His call, if they're willing to repent you'll forgive. And he won't just forgive. See what happens in what happened in history and recorded in the Bible is when Israel continued in their sin, they're given over to the enemy and then their lives are just wrecked, wrecked because of their sin. That's the ultimate end of sin. It destroys. And the devil loves it. The devil loves it. Because he loves to to steal, he loves to kill, he loves to destroy. And he uses that avenue of sinfulness. And he entices us, he tempts us, and, and so we sin. And if we continue to sin, the ultimate end of that is, you never end up where you wanted to go. And listen to this. Even for those who repent, commit their lives to Jesus Christ, there's still the challenge of the effect of sin in our world. Listen, everything that's wrong with the world is because of sin. People die because of sin. Death is awful. The Bible says that Satan holds the power of death. And yet Jesus came to conquer death and to give us hope and to give us a life. One story after another, years of history repeating itself. And when People would hear, even after the enemy has been allowed to devastate and destroy, God would raise up people to speak words of encouragement and to rebuild what the devil, what the enemy had been allowed to destroy. Zechariah, he's one of those prophets that came along after the Assyrians devastated the northern kingdom, after the Babylonians devastated the southern kingdom. Jeremiah the prophet was given revelation that the Babylonian captivity would last for 70 years. It did. And at the end of the captivity, God begins to raise up people like Zechariah, people like Ezra who would teach them the Word of God, people like Nehemiah who would administrate the rebuilding of the ruins that had been left. God loves rebuilding. God loves restoring. In chapter 3, Zechariah was told that he and some of the leaders that God raised up during his days of ministry were men symbolic of things to come. It's very important because as history continues to repeat itself, what we're going to see happening The enemy is still going to be allowed to devastate, destroy, because sin and hard-heartedness and (laughs) hard-headedness. Zechariah chapter 6, we had one of those specific scriptures of some of the men being symbolic of things to come. The word of the Lord in verse 9 comes to Zechariah, take silver, gold, uh, make a crown, a crown, and set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua. And then in verse 12, it goes on to say, here is the man whose name is the branch, the branch, And he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And he'll be a priest on his throne, and there'll be harmony between the two. This is one of those scriptures where Joshua, the high priest of this day, not Joshua that led the Israelites into the land of promise, a different Joshua. He's the high priest in the days of the ministry of Zechariah, the prophet. And they're to put a crown on his head. But he is representative of a future ruler who's known as the branch. Now, we don't have time to go back into it, but Isaiah chapter 11 tells us without question that the one that is symbolic of this future ruler, this Joshua, historically represents and symbolic of a future ruler who will be priest and king. And Isaiah chapter 11 tells us, it's Jesus. No question. Under this Old Testament economy, you couldn't have a priest who also sat as king. wasn't allowed. You had the priesthood, and then you had the kings. Here's one who will come who will be priest and king. He's the political ruler. He's the religious ruler. Isaiah 11 talks about What it'll be like when he comes to rule and reign. It's called the thousand year reign of Christ. We referred to it last week very briefly. The wolf will lie down with the lamb and the wolf won't eat the lamb. Lamb's very happy about that. No more walls at bush gardens. A little child will lead a wild beast. It's going to be an amazing time. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4 tells us that when Jesus comes, the branch and rules and reigns, that people will come and they will get counsel from him. And Isaiah 2 verse 4 says he will settle disputes between powerful nations. And get this, they will not train for war anymore. What a king. What a priest. He's going to settle disputes For a thousand years, things are going to get better and better and better and better on the earth. Ah, that's the glorious prophetic promise. But if you've been reading along with us in Zechariah, you get other scriptures. Some that are kind of muddy. Zechariah chapter 11 is one of those chapters, and you might read that and go, what in the world is he talking about? Because in verse 4 of chapter 11, he says, This is what the Lord my God says, Pasture the flock marked for slaughter. What is he talking about? I'll read it carefully from my notes. Zechariah 11 describes for us what it was like in Jesus' first coming. It was one of those times when Israel, because of their sin and idolatry, once again... Foreign power, enemy power, had come in to rule. Now it's Rome. The Israelites still haven't learned their lesson. There are worthless shepherds ruling over Israel, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They are marked for slaughter. What does that mean? It's the picture of their sin and idolatry, and even though they are sheep, (laughs) because of their sin and idolatry they're marked for judgment, they're marked for slaughter. And in that environment, the greatest of all prophets shows up on the scene, Jesus. And Zechariah prophesies not only what it was like, he prophesies detail as to what happens to this greatest of prophets. Jesus, the Messiah. Zechariah 11, verse 12. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me the 30 pieces of silver for the shepherd that had come to pasture the flock that's filled with sin and idolatry, marked for slaughter, but he loves them anyway. If you're a note taker, you want to write down Exodus chapter 21, verse 32. Why? Because the 30 pieces of silver, we know that's what Judas got for betraying Jesus Christ. Why 30 pieces of silver? Exodus 21, verse 32, under the law, if you had a bull and it gored and killed someone's slave, then you were required by law to pay the owner of the slave 30 pieces of silver. It was the price of a slave. That's the value they put on Jesus Christ. That's what Judas got. But not only does it tell us what he got for betraying Jesus Christ, verse 13, And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver, and I threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. We don't have time to turn to all the scriptures, but if you're a note taker, you can write down Matthew chapter 27, and in verses 3 through 7 of Matthew chapter 27, it's the record of exactly what Judas did with the 30 pieces of silver. Filled with remorse, not repentance. Remorse, not repentance. He takes the money back. He goes to the Jewish leadership. He says, I betrayed innocent blood. They say, what is that to us? And he takes the 30 pieces of silver and he throws them into the house of the Lord, the temple. The Jewish leadership picked up every piece of those 30 pieces of silver. They said, we can't put it into the temple treasury. It's blood money. And so they took the money and they bought the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. there's a point to all this. Zechariah 11 describes what it was like when Jesus first came. The challenges he faced. He loved them. Despite how much he loved them, They are marked for slaughter. He's come to die for them. He's betrayed by one of His own. He's ultimately crucified. It speaks of that time, but it also speaks of the future time of what Israel will be like just prior to His second coming. Let me summarize it this way. Here's what you have in the Bible, over and over and over and over again. He's coming. He's going to rule. He's going to reign. thousand-year reign is going to get better and better and better. These are glorious, glorious promises, and they're really going to happen. Jesus really is coming. Jesus really will rule and reign from Jerusalem. But there are painful realities between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. Zechariah chapter 13 describes the time just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. In Israel, verse 8, the whole land... Two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will bring into the fire. I will refine them like silver. Revelation describes this time It's known as the Great Tribulation. And one of the things that God will do in the Great Tribulation is purge the nation of Israel, and finally their eyes will be opened. They will recognize that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And the whole nation in one day will be saved, at least those who are left. Two-thirds will perish in the great tribulation. It'll be an awful time. And those who put their faith in Christ, here's what John writes in Revelation chapter 14, that those who are putting their faith in Jesus during that awful time known as the great tribulation, it will require patient endurance, patient endurance, even for those seven years, even for that seemingly short time. Jesus said time is going to be so awful then that nobody would be saved if the time wasn't cut short. Patient endurance. They ask me every week, what's the title of your message? They want to put it in the bulletin. Sometimes I don't have a title yet. I don't have a title. I'm working, I'm studying, and this past week they wanted to know. On Thursday, on Thursday they wanted to know, what's the title of your message? I didn't ask me Friday. And finally, you want to know the title, there it is, patient endurance. I don't like it. My wife said after last service, said you were preaching to yourself. Patient, endurance. Patient. I don't like that because it involves time. I don't, like, I don't like waiting for anything. I don't like waiting for anything. Endurance, that involves pain. And there's some wonderful promises in the Scripture, and these are general, general promises. Oh, Anybody who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. <laughs> Isn't that a great promise? And then Paul writes in Philippians. He tells us, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So if you're worth your salt in your faith, there's going to be a cost. But here's what I find when I read Zechariah. There are some general things that we're all going to go through, and we don't know exactly how that's going to work out, but we know, we know, from these scriptures. But sometimes, God tells somebody more specifically, He gives them a personally prophetic look at what they're going to face. Here's what John, the gospel writer, tells us uh, that Jesus knew about what it was ahead. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, he went out and he asked him, who is it you want? He's talking about when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane. He'd been praying, and then the the Jewish leaders come. Uh, They come to arrest Jesus, and Jesus knows what's going on. And he knows what's going to go on. Now, you imagine you're Jesus, and these guys are coming to arrest you, and you're going to suffer like you've never suffered before, and you're going to be put on a Roman cross. And you're going to come out and say, who are you guys looking for? I mean, humanly, you'd be like, I'm out of here. I'm to the next town over. But he knows. He knows Zechariah chapter 11. He knew that Judas was a devil from the beginning. He knew all of his closest disciples would desert him. On the final Passover meal, you go back and read it, and Jesus prophesies to them based on prophecy already given. He says, tonight all you guys are going to desert me. They go, no, we're not. Oh, yeah, you will. And he quotes Zechariah 13, 7. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. And despite their denial, it happened. (laughs) He knew everything that was going to happen, and yet he goes out. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, he experienced what's called hematidrosis. It's a rare but very real condition when someone is under extreme physical or emotional stress. It's when the capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing the sweat glands to exude blood. And the Bible tells us there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat drops of blood. That's the kind of anxiety he was feeling. That's the stress he was under. But that was not the only time he felt that kind of anxiety, that kind of sorrow. The verse in Hebrews tells us that Jesus in his earthly life, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. Mark tells us he often withdrew to lonely places where he prayed. And what you don't see him exhibit in public, what went on in private. Isaiah tells us he was a man of sorrows, he was familiar with suffering. For the joy set before him, he endured, he endured, even the cross. There's some fascinating passages. Not only Jesus, but there are some saints in the Scriptures, and I don't have time to turn to all of them. I'm just going to give you a couple of references. You can write them down. John chapter 21, after the resurrection, Jesus has breakfast there with Peter and his closest disciples on the beach. Peter, after he had denied just a short time before that he even knew Jesus, and uh, sitting there, He says to Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And Peter's hurt the third time, you know, and you you know I love you, Lord. After breakfast, they're taking a walk on the beach. John the Apostle's following behind them. And it says there that in John 21, as they're walking along the beach, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, when you were young, you dressed the way you wanted to dress and you went where you wanted to go. But when you're old, they're going to dress you a way that you don't want to dress and they're going to lead you where you do not want to go.
0: joining us today to study the Old Testament on the Living Word. You may have thought that this section of the Bible isn't relevant in a world that Jesus has redeemed, but we hope through this study that you've changed your opinion. There's plenty to learn from Old Testament books, the people within, and the ways that God reveals himself. The God you meet in the Old Testament is the same one who created you, and the same one who's governing your life right now. If you'd like to explore more teachings from this Gleanings from the Old Testament series, you can find them online at ccfstpete.church. Just click on Sermons. You'll be redirected to our YouTube page, where you can watch a number of teachings from Calvary Chapel Fellowship and subscribe to our channel. Come connect with us on social media as well. You'll find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you'll be able to jump into the conversations there. If you happen to be in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you. You're invited to join us for our weekly services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. We're excited to welcome you into our family of faith. You'll find directions and more information at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. That's all we have for today. Tune in next time for more on The Living Word.